and turn to Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2. I do want to thank Gary for filling in for the last couple of weeks. I had the privilege of being here last week, and uh, he did a great job, and I just want to thank uh, the Lord for him and uh, his ministry here at our church. Revelation chapter 2, if you'll go ahead and turn there. We're going to look at several places this morning, so uh, keep your Bibles out. Uh, we're beginning in a new series this, this morning. Uh, the, the, the whole series will, will be a verse-by-verse study uh, through the letter to the church at Ephesus, uh, the book of Ephesians. And uh, we've entitled it, In Him for Him. And we'll talk more about what that means in just a moment. Well, today, what I want to do is I just want to inter- introduce the series. And, and so by doing that, I'm going to give you a lot of history as it surrounds the church at Ephesus. And so I hope you'll be, be patient with me. I'm going to give you a lot of information. It's going to look more like a Bible study this morning. But I think it's very necessary for you, you to understand the context in which this letter was written. And so we'll be looking at that. So look at the introduction. Most scholars agree that excluding the book of Romans, the letter to the Ephesians, is the most detailed written presentation of Christian theology of all the other epistles. Now think about that. The book of Romans, I mean, it is loaded with Christian theology. And then you begin to look at the other epistles, and of course you see all kinds of things that are addressed in those epistles, but when you come to the book of uh, of Ephesians, you'll find that there is a lot of great theology, especially in the first three chapters. So let's jump right on in this morning. If you look on your outline, the the location of the letter, we're we're looking at the city, Uh, the city is Ephesus. Now it's located in Asia Minor. Okay, and that's important to understand. You're looking at modern-day Turkey, okay, parts of Greece. You're looking at that. It was a popular seaport. It connected trade between Europe and Asia. And so this city was very important to the first century uh, way of living. The population in the first century of this city was over 300,000. Some scholars estimate it could have been as much as 500,000. Now think about that. That is a large city uh, for for a time like the first century. There was a 25,000 seat amphitheater that was located there. It was a very cultural city. It was a very modern city. And of course we see that as it relates to the the whole idea of the first century and that, that location. The location of the pagan temple of Diana was in this city. And that's very important to note. Diana was known as the twin sister of Apollo. How many of you know your Greek mythology? She was the twin sister of Apollo and the daughter of Zeus. This Greek temple was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. If you were to go back and you say, okay, what were the the wonders of the world at that time? This temple, this this city, the location there would would have been on that map. There were 127 columns that were 60 feet high. It had a statue of Diana that was believed to have been sent directly to the temple by Zeus himself, that it just kind of came out of the sky. In the temple, there was ritual prostitute worship. A large portion of the economy of Ephesus surrounded the temple. And in the spring, there was a month-long celebration I mean, you're talking about something that made the economy pick up. They said that over 100,000 people would visit during this time, during this special celebration. Next, I want you to see the church at Ephesus. The first thing I want you to see is that Jesus addressed it. Jesus actually sent a letter to it. Gary uh, shared some of this with us last week. So, so Jesus addressed it. He did it through the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos, and it was written, now think of this, it, the letter was written around 95 AD, 95 AD. And there are several things that, that we, we can point out about that letter in Revelation chapter two. Uh, Gary gave us some of this information last week, but first of all, Jesus' commendation. Uh, look at Revelation chapter two. I want you to look at verse two. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that word patience, your perseverance, your endurance, that you cannot bear those who are evil. Now, let me just tell you this. When he writes that to the church at Ephesus, that place was evil. A very modern city, a very cultured city. 
Uh, the temple of Diana was there. Prostituted worship was there. All kinds of wickedness was done in the city. And there was a church there. There was a remnant of people who were there, uh, God's people, who, who had received and embraced the message of Paul, which, of course, we know as the gospel. And, and, and they were trying to live a life of light and salt in the midst of all this darkness. That's the location. That's what we're talking about here. So Jesus is applauding them for standing up to that evil, persevering there. He says, you have tested those who say they are apostles. There are many who were false apostles, false teachers, and they are not, and have found them liars. Now, the only way they could have done that was to know theology themselves, to understand what was true theology, what was false, what was the truth and what was not. So, so they had to be educated people when it comes to knowing the gospel. And it says they found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for, labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Let me, let me ask you a question. How, how many of you see the, the, the things in our culture right now that make you weary? Oh, yeah. You start seeing it. You see how it's affecting your family. You start seeing all the lies and the deception that are out there it's invading different areas of our lives. And, and it is hard sometimes to stand up and to, to remain strong and to, to, to still represent what Christ would have us to represent. Now think about these people. They were in the midst of that city. This church now is probably 50 years old. Some people say 40 years of age. And boy, they're trying to stand. We're talking about 95 AD when Jesus is addressing this. Now, he, he also says something interesting. Look at verse six. He says, but this you have, you have hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, if you were to go back and do a study of what the, the doctrines of the Nicolaitans were or what was going on with them and what they believed and what they taught, you would have seen that the, the early fathers basically said that, that they were teaching self-indulgence. They were, they were teaching that it's okay to act upon the flesh. You can have a measure of the gospel. You can embrace what, even some of the teachings of Paul, but you don't have to totally deprive yourselves of what your flesh wants. They hated that. The Bible says, guess who else hated it? God himself hated it. And so they, they were standing up. They seemed to be doing all the right things, but then we have his criticism. Look at what he says in verse four. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You've left your first love. You, you've been doing all these things right. You've, you've labored, you've endured, you've done all these things, but you've walked away from your first love. Now, what could that have meant? Well, they were carrying out Christian responsibility. I mean, we know that because he's commending them for that. He's, he's saying, you're, you're standing up. You're, you're, you're standing against evil. But here's what they were doing. They were carrying out Christian responsibility, but there was no love for God and others in what they were doing. They'd walked away from that. Here's what I think was going on. They became cynical and negative. They, they, they were known for what they stood against instead of who they stood for. Y'all, if we're not careful in the world in which we live and all the things that we see and as we look out there and we see how it's affecting us, guess what? We as Christians can become very cynical. We can become very negative. We can be known as people who are always about what we are against instead of who we are for and who we are serving. We could lose focus in the midst of all that. That's not just a word for the first century, the church at Ephesus. It's a message for the American church because it does. I don't know about you, but I, I feel that. I feel the heaviness of where our nation is, is moving and, and it's easy to become cynical and negative and, and lose sight of what we should be standing for and who we should be standing for. It's so easy to, to lose contact with that. And you know what it eventually does? It sucks the, the love and the life out of everything that we do stand for and the people that we're attempting to reach. And if we're not careful... We can go the same way. Their passion for the Lord became diminished. How is it that their passion for the Lord can become diminished, but yet they're laboring and they're, 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 they're enduring and all that? They're doing it without love. Listen, religion, you can pull off a lot in the name of religion. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. You, you can look pretty spiritual in the name of religion. 
But if you've lost the love, if you've lost the motivation, you see, they began to confront others without love and the goal of restoration. They just wanted to judge and condemn. Here's one commentator. He said this, there was a legalistic system of works righteousness that was going on here. The very thing that Jesus condemned the the Pharisees for, he's kind of lining this church up to, to the same way or looking at them. There was a legalistic system of works righteousness. So then Jesus challenges them. Look at verse five. It says, here's what you need to do. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent, do the first works. Get back to the basics. Get back to what I called you to or else I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. When he says a lampstand, he's he's talking, some people say it's a reference to the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will not be active and working in your presence, uh, that your influence that that, that I have given you in that community will be removed. He's saying that it could come with severe consequences. So what does he say? He says, remember, go back to the basics. Go back to where all this thing began and then repent and then work to that end, that your influence will not be removed, that the Holy Spirit will not be removed. So, so he, there's Jesus himself addressed this church. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter one. Go to your left in your Bible uh, several books and you'll find 1 Timothy chapter one. Now, we, we see next the church at Ephesus, okay? It had Timothy as a pastor who spent much time there correcting false teaching. Timothy spent a lot of his time when he was at Ephesus as a pastor correcting false teaching. Now, Paul now is writing to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter one, look at verse three. This is what Paul says. He says, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge, that you may command some that they teach no other doctrine." That means he's basically saying you confront those who are teaching a doctrine other than what we taught you. Get in their face about it. Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in the faith. He's talking about those things when he talks about the, uh, the genealogies. Some people believe he's talking about those things that divided them. There were those who were trying to trace their family trees back to certain well-known Jews and well-known people that they could have privilege where they went, that they could lift themselves up. And and he's saying, get away from those things that divide. Get away from the fables which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in the faith. Verse five, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. It's interesting that, that the church has been planted Paul leaves, he sends Timothy to correct the doctrines, okay, to to make sure the doctrine is held pure. But not only that, to challenge them to love one another. Guess what? You go another 40 uh, 40 to 45 years out, Jesus is addressing the same place, and guess what he's saying? You got a love problem. There's a problem here with your love. There's a problem here with your motivation. And so he's saying there's a problem here. It, it was, we see it seems to be the theme of this church. Now, verse five, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, faith not hypocritical faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. They don't even know what they're talking about. They're creating stuff. Correct it, confront it. He's telling them that. Now, in Galatians chapter one, listen to this. Galatians chapter one, Paul says something to the church at Galatia. Here's what he says. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. You know what Paul's even saying? He's putting himself into the equation. Evidently, False teaching was rampant. It was everywhere. Almost every one of the epistles deal with it, okay? If you go do a study, there's always a little segment about correcting false teaching, okay? People were believing everything. Does it sound familiar? Yeah, we live in a world like that. And so he's saying, he's saying, get with it. Now, he said, listen, even if I come back and I say I've got this new revelation 
And here it is. This is from God. And it doesn't match up with what I've already told you. Confront me about it. If an angel shows up and contradicts what we've already taught you, confront it. <laughs> I don't know how you confront an angel, but he's saying, make, look at it carefully. Now, he says, if they do this, let him be accursed. Do you know what that word accursed means? To be eternally condemned. It's not a good place to be, is it? So those who are spreading false teachings, false doctrine, let them be eternally condemned. Let them fall prey to where they're leading the people. Because if they're leading the people away from good doctrine, away from the truth, guess what? They will be eternally condemned and the ones who are teaching it need to be eternally condemned. That's what he's saying here. So would you say that the Bible uh, addresses false doctrine and takes it very seriously? Yeah. Did, did you know that, that all of us have been given this task? Listen, if you're out there and, and you don't, really don't understand the doctrines of the church, the doctrines of what Jesus taught, what Paul taught, and you don't know those things, guess what? You're open prey to deception. And guess who's going to suffer as a result? You are. Your family is. The people around you will. Your church could even be affected by it. It's important that we know what God's word says. That's the reason every Sunday when we stand up here, that's what we're attempting to do to, to, to bring you to the challenges of the truth, to, to show you what God's word really has to say. He says, and then he says this. Paul says this in the very next verse. He says in Galatians chapter one, as we have said before, now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. He repeats it. You know why? Because it's a very serious matter. Next, we see the church at Ephesus. Uh, this is interesting. The apostle John may have served as pastor there. Tradition tells us that. But think about it. This, per, this church has had Paul plant the church, okay, with uh, Priscilla and Aquila involved. Apollos was involved, okay? Pretty big deal there. Timothy served as pastor. And now we think John possibly served as pastor, isn't that interesting? I mean, this church had some of the best. Now, now, what's interesting about this is John, we know, had a home there. And how many of you remember one of the last things Jesus said about his mother? Do you remember what he said when he was on the cross? He said, John, I want you to take care of mom. I want you to take care of my mother. Many people believe that John made his home in Ephesus and he brought Mary there to take care of her. That's what tradition tells us. It's very interesting when you really start looking at the historical aspects of, of what's in the Bible. Next, we see the visitor to Ephesus. And of course, we're talking about Paul, the church planter. And so look on your outline. During his second missionary journey, it appears that he planted this church. Now, now here's what Paul would do. Paul would go into an area and he would go to the local synagogue, okay? And he would literally begin to teach Jesus. He would teach the gospel, okay? And many people believe, and we know that from the book of Acts, that he would not only just teach them about Jesus and all that, he would go back into the Old Testament and talk about how the Old Testament talks about Jesus. And so a synagogue seemed to be the, the appropriate place for him to go to help teach people about who Jesus is. In Acts 18, 19, the Bible says this, and Paul came to Ephesus, he entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. You'll read that over and over again in the book of Acts. That's where his point, that's where his point of entry was to introduce Jesus to a certain area. It was through the local synagogue. Now he gave, when he leaves the, after the second missionary journey near the end, he'll leave and Aquila and Priscilla will become some of the leaders of the church at that time. Now look on your outline. During his third missionary journey, he'll stay for three years. Three years. Many people believe that the dates would correspond from the summer of 52 to the spring of 55 AD. So he'll stay there. Now, when he leaves that time, he's gonna give Timothy the responsibility to look after the church as a pastor. Okay, you see how all this is lining up? It's important that we understand all this, okay? Now, look on your outline. The events at Ephesus. 
during Paul's three-year stay, if you were to go to the book of Acts, go ahead and turn there now, Acts chapter 19, you're gonna see some of the things that happened while Paul stayed there in Ephesus. These things happened. Some of it also goes into chapter 20, but we're gonna focus on Acts chapter 19. So between 52 and 55 AD, these events happened. Look on your outline. First of all, he baptized 12 followers of John the Baptist. 12 followers of John the Baptist. Now here's what's interesting about this. 22 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he comes across in Ephesus, or Asia Minor, that region, he comes across 12 people who were followers of John the Baptist. And from the context of what you read in verses one through seven of Acts chapter 19, it appears that they had not yet heard the news of Jesus. They were followers of John the Baptist, which John the Baptist, you know what he was doing? He was preparing the way for the Messiah. He was basically saying, hey, here's one who's coming who's greater than I. He's come to redeem mankind. He's come to set it all straight. And, and evidently, these 12 followers of John the Baptist, I don't know how it could happen. Evidently, CNN didn't pick up the, the news outlet or what was going on. But 22 years later, these guys seem to be oblivious to what Jesus did. And so Paul, you know what he does? He introduces them to Jesus. He gives them the gospel. And the Bible says they were baptized and they received the Holy Spirit. They, 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 were, they were completed at that time. And so we see that there was some of that. It seemed that the further you got outside of Jerusalem, the more you would run into pockets of this. Matter of fact, that there's some, some of the early church fathers tell us as, as late as 110 AD that there were still those out there who knew the message of John the Baptist who didn't know about the message of Jesus. That's amazing when you think about it, isn't it? But that's what's going on here. So he introduces them there. Next, he taught in the synagogue and the school of Tyrannus. Look at chapter 19 of Acts. Look at verse 18, excuse me, verse eight. It says, and Paul went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months. Now again, that's what he did. The way he introduced the gospel to a certain region, he'd go through the synagogue and he was there three months reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not, did not believe but spoke evil of the way, of course, the way is a reference to those who were Christians, okay, those who, who received Christ, says the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. So what happened basically was this. He wasn't being received at the synagogue anymore after three months. So now he goes to this school, now, it's interesting, Tyrannus, uh, so he goes there. Now, Tyrannus was a, a man of Ephesus who owned, it appears, he owned a school or a lecture hall. He was a teacher of rhetoric and philosophy. Even some possibly believe he may have been a Jewish rabbi who'd taught the law. But evidently, he bought into the message of Paul. And so he gave him a platform to, to share for two years there in the city of Ephesus. Look at what it says in verse 10. And this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Evidently, this school was a very popular school. People came far and wide to come there or at least hear the lectures that went on there. And Paul, on a daily basis, would be one of the lecturers. And boy, you're talking about a way to get the word out. That's what was happening there. So we see that. So he allowed Paul to speak in the hall. Next, through Paul, God healed many people. There was healings that took place. Look at chapter 19, look at verse 11. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. The very things that Paul touched, the handkerchiefs, the, the aprons. I, I don't know, maybe he was a chef part-time. I don't get that. But anyway, but those things, I think it was, anyway, you'll have to read up on that. But, but what's interesting about all that is those things were being done. That's how the power of God was, was manifested during that time. How many of you ever watched some late night TV, flipping through the channels, and you find somebody on TV that says you can purchase a certain handkerchief 
for $19.95 plus shipping and handling that's guaranteed to heal. You ever, you ever seen some of that? So you look at it and say, that's just nonsense. Guess where they got it? They got it from this right here. And by the way, it is nonsense, okay? And, and so you see, all, you see all this going on. Now, now, here's another one. Look on your outline. Some Jews attempt, attempted to cast out demons in his name. Look at what happened. Look at verse 13. Then some of, this all happened in the city of Ephesus or in that region. Here, here it is. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, we exercise you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a a Jewish chief priest who did so, and here it is. And the evil spirit answered and said, listen, they went to confront the evil spirits. Okay, these guys who thought they were something evidently. It says, Here's what the evil spirit said. Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who in the world are you? Look at what happens next. Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them, leapt on or leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Would you say they got, they got beat up pretty badly here? Oh yeah. I mean, think about that. This is crazy. I mean, when you read this stuff, it's like, wow. But we're talking about the manifestation of what God was doing during that time. Here's another one. Look on your outline. Because of his ministry, many were converted, including sorcerers. Look at verse 17. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks, what just took place, what you read there, dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. What does that mean? Because of all this, they knew it happened in the name of Jesus. Everybody started hearing about it, and guess who the emphasis went to? Went to Jesus. Think about your own life. Your own life, what does it magnify? I mean, think about that. Your, our life is intended to magnify him. This story, everything started magnifying Jesus in this region. Verse 18, and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. They came repenting, they came confessing. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. You ever heard of book burnings? Here's another picture of where you possibly saw it all happen. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled, talking about these books, it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Some estimate that was the equivalent of 50,000 days of work. One piece of silver equated to one day's work. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Would you say God's working? You know what you can look back on and say what was happening here? A revival had broken out in Ephesus, a modern day city, a, day, a, a city cultured, a city that would have probably been one of the most modern in the world at that time and revival came to that city, a very wicked place. Next, Paul was accused of threatening to, to destroy Diana's temple. Now, now think of this, y'all. That temple, what does it represent to the people at Ephesus? It not only represents some kind of religious thing that they looked at, would respect, but it also is much of their economy is surrounding this, this temple. Well, guess what? Uh, there were some silversmiths who didn't like what was going on. I mean, they were the ones creating little statues of Diana, Okay, they made their living this way. I mean, the whole economy is being disrupted because revival's breaking out. And some people narrow, narrowed that down to Paul. Well, guess what? A riot is started. It appears some type of riot is started and it bled into the 25,000 seat amphitheater that was there in the city. And all of a sudden, there were all these people against one another. Look at what happens in verse 26 of chapter 19. Moreover, you see and hear, not only at Ephesus, but throughout all of Asia, this Paul was persuaded and turned away many people saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. This, this silversmith was saying, these little things I created, they're gods, they're Diana. This is what you get. You get to take a little bit of God home with you when you come and visit this place. And, and so they had these idols, and, and he's saying, Paul was saying there's nothing to it. Verse 27, 
So not, only, so not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into, into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now when they had heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. You see, there's a threat here. You literally have what appears, if you read the context of this, a riot has broken out. Now, things eventually did settle down. If you keep reading, you'll see that. Paul, after this event, is going to leave Ephesus and go to Macedonia. Okay, And when he's there, as he goes, guess what? That is where he leaves Timothy behind to become the pastor of the church. Okay, Now, are you getting all this? You seeing how all this is playing in? This is the setting of all that we're going to be talking about when we look through the letter here in the weeks to come. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. That's the last place I'll have you turn. Ephesians chapter 1. Now, we see, look on your outline, the beginning of the letter. So we're going to go ahead and look into the letter a little bit this morning. And the first thing we look at is from whom? From whom does the letter come from? Well, the first word gives you this. Paul, Paul, that's the first thing that's said there is the name Paul. Now think about who Paul was. Let's, let's give a little history of him. Paul used to be called who? Saul, okay? And so Saul is now Paul. He was once a, a persecutor of the church. He, he wasn't someone who was told to go persecute the church. Listen to a story. He went to get permission to persecute the church, you do understand the story, right? You've read the story before. He, he loved this. He loved taking down the church. He was against the church. He, he, he did not like anything that the church stood for. And then all of a sudden, he has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Jesus is already, his death, burial, and resurrection has already taken place. Now he's going to have an encounter with Jesus. Some people estimate that encounter was three to five years after Jesus' resurrection. Okay, and so you've got all this taking place. Okay, and, and so this is, is done. Now, let me say this: the the letter itself was written by Paul, and again, these dates are shaky, but many people believe between sixty and sixty-two A.D. Now, it's approximately thirty years after Christ. You, you, you see the context of what's going on. Okay, now look at chapter three, verse one. If you don't believe Paul wrote it here, look at chapter three, verse one. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. So there's two places where Paul is directly, his name is mentioned in the letter, okay? Now, it's also considered to be one of Paul's prison letters. You remember when Paul was in Rome? He was under house arrest. Uh, he wrote several letters. They believe this is one of the letters that was written, Okay? Now, here's what you need to understand. When he writes this letter, you gotta remember that he helped plant the church eight to 10 years before this letter. Okay, you, you, you with me? The letter that we're gonna be looking at was written eight to 10 years after he planted the church. Most scholars believe that. Now, he goes on, look at verse one. Paul, an apostle of whom? Jesus Christ. Now, apostle of Jesus Christ, here, here's what that means. It means very distinctly, apostle is a big deal. They were called out and sent out. They were messengers to the church or to the churches. They were able to work miracles, okay? Uh, matter of fact, that was one of the signs that they were apostles. Could they work miracles, okay? And listen, this is the big deal. They were called directly by God through the, resurrect, through the risen Lord. Okay, they were called directly. All right, that, that, that sets them apart. Okay, and so you see that, that that's the whole idea of what an apostle is. Now look at the verses here on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Listen how Paul sums up him being an apostle. Then last of all, he was seen, Jesus was seen. He's talking about those who saw him after his death. He was seen by me also, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle. Think about that. I mean, sometimes when you read Paul's writings, he's very direct. 
He almost sounds like, man, he'd be a hard guy to get along with. <laughs> but he, ha- he was humble too. He was humble. I'm the least of the apostle. I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Talking about the rest of the apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Now, would you say he had a pretty healthy perspective of of his apostleship? Oh, he did. It's very interesting. Look on verse one again. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, how? By the will of God. Listen, it wasn't Paul who went seeking the job. Who came to him? The Lord came to him. He's the one that signed him up. He's the one that said, hey, Paul, got a different job for you. Instead of persecuting the church, killing those who make up the church, I want you to build the churches. I want you to help disciple the people in the churches. I mean, think about that. And guess what? That means he did not act on his own authority. In Romans chapter one, Paul introduces himself, listen, as a bondservant of of Jesus Christ. A bondservant was someone who never acted on their own. Nothing about the, uh, their own will was even put into their life. It was all about the master. It was all about what he desired, what he wanted. There was an allegiance to that. And Paul saw himself as that towards Jesus. Look on your outline next. To whom? Not only from whom, but to whom? Look at the latter part of verse one. To the saints. To the saints. Now, there's different perspectives as what, he, as what he's going to give here in the, in the latter part of this verse. There's a heavenly perspective. He's called, we're called saints, okay? Now, saints were those <clears throat> who were made holy, okay? Now, think about this. A saint did not become holy on their own initiative. By definition of the word, that's not right, okay? So, so when you look at the, these other places of faith that are out there calling people saints and they're saying they're saints because they did this, 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 and this. That's the wrong terminology of what a saint is. A saint is someone who is made holy, okay? It it literally is that idea, those who are cleansed by the atoning sacrifice of God's son, those who are called out of the world and placed in Christ. Now, our title for this series, In Him, For Him, Do you realize that over and over and over again, the term in Christ comes up? Y'all, that is the the most underrated term in scripture or or, or a phrase in scripture. And I'm gonna prove it to you over the next several weeks. And so that's what a saint is. But then we have an earthly perspective in Ephesus, the earthly location. Now, let me just say this. The letter written to Ephesus, if you go back and you study scholars who've looked at some of the earlier uh, letters, some of the earliest letters that have come that they found. Do you realize that the, the, the name Ephesus is not on some of those letters? Most scholars believe this was not only a letter sent to Ephesus, but it was sent to the churches in that whole region, all, all there in Asia Minor. Probably the same ones that received letters from Jesus himself in Revelations chapters two and three, that they received this letter. So it was a circular letter, okay? So it was in Ephesus. Now, back to a heavenly perspective. In Christ Jesus, that's those who have received Jesus as our Savior and Lord. But then here's here's an interesting perspective, a generational perspective. This letter was not only addressed to the churches in the region of Asia Minor in the first century. It's addressed to all churches all the way to the 21st century. This is a letter that's not only addressed to them. Listen, it's addressed to us sitting here today. You see, so many times, and I get sick and tired of hearing about, well, the Bible's outdated. It was written to those in the first century. It has no place for the 21st century. Yes, it does. You know, you know how we know? Because many of us in this room have built our life on it. We know it works. We know that the words there are endearing. We know that they transform. We know that they change people's lives. And so it's not only for them of the first century, it's us now. Let's go back to from whom? He says, grace to you and peace is a very common greeting in the first century, but is different and unique because of what he says next. Look at at what he says. He says, grace to you and peace, and here's the difference, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what's interesting about this. 
Both are two manifestations of the same source from which grace and peace come. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. On that day, listen, on, on one day, it was not long before that, Paul only accepted God our Father. Did you know before he encountered Jesus Christ, he, he knew God the Father? I mean, there was, there was something going on there. That's the reason the Lord came to him, okay? So he knew God the Father, but then something happened to him. He encountered and was drastically and eternally changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. From that moment on, he would spend the rest of his life attempting to understand the full ramifications of his relationship with his God through Jesus Christ. You realize that, right? He'll spend the rest of his life looking at what all that means. Guess what? We can spend the rest of our lives looking for that, and we still won't grasp it all. <laughs> There's a lot of mystery associated with it. There's a lot of things that come with it. Next, we see the end of the letter. So what I'm going to do, I'm going from the beginning of the letter, now I'm carrying you all the way to the end of the letter. At the end of this letter, Paul seems to be addressing the concerns that the people had concerning his well-being. So he sends, look on your outline, the encourager, Tychicus, and, and Tychicus seemed to be a native of Ephesus. He seemed to be the person who also carried letters to the Colossians and the Laodiceans. He also carried letters to Timothy. He was the errand boy, I guess. He did the running for Paul while he was in prison in Rome. And, and here's what's interesting about him. He, was, he devoted himself to the service of God by serving Paul. That was, that's where he was. That's where he is. So the encourager. So look at his message, his message. Look at verse, uh, chapter six. Go to the end of the letter. Chapter six, verse 21. But that you may also know my affairs and how I'm doing, Ty Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for his very purpose, that you may know our affairs. Now think about what's going on here. He seemed to have been sent to not only bring the letter, but also inform them so as they can know how to pray for Paul. Here's what we know about Paul. How many of you understand all that he went through as an apostle? Do you understand what he went through? He would go into cities. They would chase him out. Some, some cities, they would chase him out just before they tried to stone him to death. He was shipwrecked over and over again. He's been pretty banged up for, for most of his life up to this point. So they were probably concerned about his health, his situation, uh, the fact he was in prison, and not only that, his possible upcoming trial. Now, here's what's interesting. From this imprisonment, when he writes this letter, Paul is going to be released. Now, when the letters to Timothy are written, Paul tells you, I know I'm not going to be released from this one, okay? And he, he will be executed at that time. But, but while he's in prison here under house arrest, he is going to be released, He'll be released, and many people believe that he'll be released and live seven more years before he's re-arrested, okay? Do you know what he did those seven years, many people believe? He went to Spain. Some people say he went as far as Britain to share the gospel during those seven years. Some of those years are dark years. We can only know through tradition. Now, Paul, as I said, will live seven more years after this arrest, now, here's the timeline. This is not on your outline, but I want to help you with something. When I started looking at everything, I'm like, how are they going to get this? Here's a timeline, okay? The timeline of Paul in the church at Ephesus. Around 5 AD, Paul, many people believe that's when Paul was born. Around 30 AD, Jesus is executed. This is where you have the, the story of the death, burial, and resurrection. Around 34 to 36 AD, we believe is Paul's conversion, between 49 and 50 AD, we believe this is when the birth of the church at Ephesus, okay? That's when we believe that took place. Around 52 to 55 AD, Paul stays in Ephesus for three years, right around that period. Between 60 and 62 AD, Paul writes a letter to the church at Ephesus, and between 67 to 68 AD, Paul is executed by Nero. Around 95 AD, John writes letter, the letter for Jesus to the church at Ephesus. These dates are important. Matter of fact, I'll have those printed out for you next week. But it's important that you understand the context of when this letter was written. And I think that can help you. And of course, the dates are not certain. They believe this is 
around when these things took place. Now, Tychicus, look, go back to your outline. His ministry, look at his ministry, the last part of verse 22, that he may comfort your hearts. He's there to help you. He's there to encourage you. He's there, if I can't be there, I'm sending my best and I'm sending him to be there for you. Next, we have the encouragement from Paul. Look at verses 23 and 24. He ends it this way. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. That means not hypocritically, but in sincerity, amen. And so he ends the letter there. Now, I wanna close here. The breakdown of the letter. This is important that you get this, okay? The first three chapters and the second three chapters, verses one through, chapters one through three and four through six, we're gonna be looking at two different things. It's really interesting how it breaks down. So look on your outline. Positionally, we're gonna be looking at in Christ. That's where we get the in him. Practically, we're looking at chapters four through six for Christ. You see how we've created the title here? In him, for him. Verse chapters one through three talks about our spiritual wealth. Spiritual wealth, and, by, uh, and it's loaded. We, I can't wait to share it with you. But chapters four through six, spiritual walk. Chapters one through three, discoveries of the faith. What does our faith entail? What, what's really associated with it? Chapters four through six, demonstrations of the faith. Chapters one through three, the doctrine of Christ. Chapters four through six, our devotion to Christ. Chapters one through three, Christian privileges. And then chapters four through six, Christian responsibilities. We're gonna be looking at these very extensively for about 18 weeks. You're gonna get sick of me saying, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians whatever, okay? But I can't wait for you to understand. This, this, this letter is rich. Now here's why this letter is important. Let's bring it home where you are right now. Most people's issues... The issues represented right here in this room today. Listen, what are some of our issues? We battle against the flesh, don't we? Anybody battled against the flesh this week? Get, get your hands up. We got to get, uh, yeah. Some of you are doing this. Bless your heart. I don't know what kind of week you have, but I'll pray for it. But we're, we're, our issues, living in the flesh. You don't have to raise your hand on this one. Falling into temptation. These are our issues. I mean, and, and there's so many other issues here. L let me say this. These things are not the results of sheer weakness, but are the results of not knowing who we are in Christ. Amen. See, so many people focus on the temptation. Oh, we gotta fight the temptation. We gotta overcome. We gotta, we gotta love Jesus more than we love this. Well, that's, that's a good approach. But it comes more, there's much more than that. Most of us don't understand who we are in Christ. Some of you, I was talking to a couple this week, and it's in my own testimony. How many of you have ever doubted your salvation? Yeah, we've all been there, haven't we? We've doubted our salvation. Some of us, maybe we need to doubt our salvation. Maybe it's not sure, maybe it's not certain, maybe it's not sincere. But for many of us who know Jesus Christ, the reason we doubt is because most of us or many of us have never been discipled in knowing who we are now because we have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so guess what we're gonna do with the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians? We're gonna show you who you are. And for some of you, some of you you never knew this is who you were because you've never been taught this information. But it's right there in God's word. So your battles with temptation, your battles with the flesh, it's, it's not just sheer weakness that's causing you to fall into these things. The biggest issue is this. You just don't know who you are anymore. The Bible says you're in Christ. And that means a lot. And we're going to share that over the next several weeks. So here's the application. The letter to the Ephesians is basically telling us that we need to understand who we are in Christ and then act accordingly. Question, do you understand who you are in Christ? Second question, do you act accordingly? And then here's the verse that I believe sums up the whole book. Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship, a masterpiece that's still awaiting to be discovered. 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. You see, the whole idea of being his workmanship, being his creation, being his masterpiece, one of the main reasons we gotta get there is we gotta understand who we are in him. Who are you in Christ? What does that look like? How does it play out? That's what we'll be looking at. Would you stand to your feet, please? Father, we just come to you right now. And Lord, we just thank you for your blessings. We thank you for who you are. And and Father, I just thank you for those in this room right now. Father, as we look into our lives right now, I, I know there's a lot of conflict in many souls right now in this room. And, and I think so many times we think the conflict is our conflict with the flesh. It's our conflict with the world. It's our conflict with the enemy. And, and part of that's true. But one of the biggest things that we're dealing with, and Lord, help us to understand it, is that we don't really know who we are anymore. For some of us, we gave our heart to to the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe it was 20 years ago. Maybe it was just a year ago. But but, but something's happened. We we know about the battle. We know about the war. We can can sense that your spirit is alive and working in us. But we keep falling. We keep becoming weak. Father, I'm convinced it's because we just don't understand who we are in you. And Father, I pray that over these next 19, 18 weeks, that Lord, we can get a fresh encounter with you through your Holy Spirit, understanding your truth, understanding your word in a way that can can bring conviction to our lives, but also bring that whole idea of knowing who we are in you. Father, I pray that for our church in the coming weeks. And Father, I just pray if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, they, they can't stand here today and say, yes, I am in Christ because they don't have a testimony of knowing you. Lord, I pray today will be the day they give the heart to you. Father, if there's a Christian here today and it's one battle after another and they don't understand, Father, I just pray that they'll, they'll start becoming a student of your word to, to really try to grasp the truth that's in your word. That It's not based on emotion. It's not based on all these things. It's based on knowing who we are. And that can only be done and seen through understanding your truth. Father, help us to have that. Father, have your way in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.